Sabrina Nanji is with the Queen's Park Observer at Queen's Park, and she joins us this morning uh, for the morning brief. Good morning, Sabrina. Good morning, John. So um, I'll start maybe with this constitutional challenge over uh, the uh, panhandling law passed because it's a provincial law and you're up there at, at Queen's Park. And this has been something that I, even when I was a provincial politician, was being debated back then. They call it the Mike, Mike Harris era, a panhandling law, and it's bedeviled uh, all kinds of governments, municipal and uh, provincial over the years, because frankly, every time they've tried to do what are so-called vag- vagrancy laws or panhandling limitation laws, the courts find that this is uh, an infringement on people's basic rights to sort of be in the street and, I guess, without being too aggressive, ask for money. And so on it goes, another court case uh, that is uh, challenging this under the Constitution. Yeah, a part of me wonders if, you know, referring to it as the Mike Harris era law is also part of why um, it's you know, getting such a bad rap. Um, but but this one's a bit tricky for me because I guess it does seem to further punish our most vulnerable. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's easy to understand the rights of people just waiting for a bus or waiting to use an ATM and not to be aggressively asked for spare change. Um, a- as you said, you know, this has been in and out of the courts for years now. And so I'm really curious to see what happens this time around. Um, Obviously, the argument is based on a a constitutional challenge, but the courts have already agreed that this law has infringed on individual charter rights, but that that's justified in the interest of public safety. So I do think I wonder um, if, if, you know, the the people who are against this law are going to argue that this is overkill because we already do have laws against, you know, threatening someone or harassing someone. Um, And so I do think this is just going to be another uh, mess in the courts, but we've already got some precedent here. So it'll be interesting to see where this one goes. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, because I'm well aware, of course, having been in public office of the uh, conundrum that you face between uh, those who are very disadvantaged and marginalized and those who, as you say, have just a right to go about their business. And this is about so-called aggressive panhandling, which is the one where the kind of panhandling where there could be safety issues involved or people even feeling anxious. But the other thing about this law is since it's been in place, they've written thousands of tickets and most of the fines levied under the law just haven't been paid. And so I'm always one as a lawyer myself who, who've always just said there's no point in passing laws that are disrespected or not enforced because it just brings the law into disrepute to have laws on the books that aren't enforced. You're either going to have it and enforce it and get the fines paid somehow, but how do you get people who are panhandling to pay fines? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point. Like it almost seems like overkill because we do have laws against making threats, harassing people. Um, but I don't think we can really expect, you know, these fines to be paid, of course, when they're from people who are already, you know, struggling um, and, and they're the ones asking for spare change. So it does sort of seem like overkill here uh, and the enforcement of it is is also very intense. And so I I do kind of wonder, you know, if it's even necessary um, and if there's not another way, you know, with the laws that we already have on the books to go about this and make sure that, you know, the public is safe while our most vulnerable um, are also protected in in their own ways too. Well, we'll move on from this. This may cause Jerry Agar's head to explode, but one of the ways in which you could do that (laughs) is better mental health uh, care and 
and the guaranteed annual income, as opposed to all these other programs that clearly aren't working if there's all these people out in the street panhandling. Uh, another interesting story that is uh, Queen's Park related is the uh, courts allowing a negligence class action suit against the long-term care minister in Ontario to proceed relating to deaths experienced by families during COVID. What I found interesting about it is that, first of all, they've made a separation as between the health minister and the long-term care minister uh, because it's about people who died in long-term care from COVID. But secondly, that it, it is uh, yet one more instance in which they're saying it's okay to go ahead and sue a minister, uh, recognizing those ministers will be uh, defended by the government at the government's expense, but still suing a minister for saying you uh, could have done something about this in your, in your job and you were negligent by not doing more to protect people in long-term care. Yeah, this is another fascinating legal case. Um, and it's very interesting that this class action has been allowed to go through. Uh, we do, of course, we know, you know, how devastating COVID was in our long-term care and retirement and nursing homes. I don't think that anyone wants to argue with that, but the Ontario government has repeatedly been criticized for not doing enough and not doing enough in time, even now, you know, when it comes to enforcement, uh, when the military went into these long-term homes, I think long-term care homes, I think everyone was, you know, just as shocked and appalled and frankly disgusted at, at what, you know, some, at some of the situations that we had seen. And so I think that, you know, in this class action in particular, you know, there are four lead families who, who lost, you know, close loved ones and say that the Ontario government knew, you know, earlier uh, about how devastating COVID could have been and didn't act quick enough um, to make the changes. Uh, and, you know, that resulted in a loss of life. So I, I do think that um, that will be interesting to see if, you know, where this goes and, you know, if the minister will be held responsible. But of course, as we know, politically, um, this is something the Ford government has to wear. And we've had a few long-term care ministers, uh, you know, in that role. But I, I do think that at the end of the day, you know, th this is something that the Ford government I is going to wear no matter what. Although I will say, just to wrapping that up, that people's memories of focus on COVID and what happened, I mean, it's going to be searing for someone who lost a loved one, obviously, but for the rest of, every, of, of people out there, it seems to me that COVID for them is so far in the midst of, back in the midst of time that they don't even remember the good things and the bad, because there were a lot of good things that were done, good things meaning that our governments generally in Canada handled things very well relative to other places. Anyway, we'll see uh, what happens with that. Um, you sit at Queen's Park and you see petitions and, you know, letters written and so forth. There's a letter that's been written by some previous uh, members of city council, including some I served with, uh, saying that the council, when it votes on the budget next week, should vote down the 9.5% tax hike and impose something lower. Do these things make a difference or are they just people that are part of the sort of ongoing toing and froing of uh, political debate? I think it's maybe more of, of the latter there. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the big question is, what are the other options here for this city? And we know that it could have been a lot worse, uh, you know, that additional 6% um, if the feds didn't pony up enough cash, which, you know, they have announced more money, um, but it, it's still not enough. And I'm actually curious to hear what you would think on, on what else there is to do at this point. You know, the new funding deal with the province uh, that included uploading the highways would save billions over the coming years. Still not 
done enough to help Toronto deal with this massive budget hole. Um, I mentioned the you know additional cash for from the feds for asylum seekers. That's still not enough. Um, of course, you know it's not politically palatable for anyone to be raising taxes. And Chow has had a bit of a honeymoon, but at the same time, she's also a strong mayor. And if she really wants to see this um, in this tax increase go through, she will. Even though she's probably going to take a lot of flack for it. Well, I'll answer your question because it's part of our discussion back and forth this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, you're right. Uh, she does have the power to impose any tax increase she wants over the heads of her council, pretty much so. Uh, and uh, but I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a good look on your very first budget. I mean, City Hall, uh, unlike Queens Park, where there are parties and it's a fairly, you know, kind of cut and dried sort of thing as to who's going to pass what uh, during a majority government. At City Hall, you need to draw together a consensus, and the budget is the most important time to have that consensus if you can. It doesn't mean unanimity. And so it'd be a, it would be a bad look, I think, to have to use the strong powers in your first uh, in your first budget. And as to what, what she should do, first of all, she should be pushing, as mayors before her, including me, have done to say the three governments really need to sit down and not do this ad hoc thing where they go through these crises every year, but decide on some way in which cities can be properly funded, including maybe making some more uh, revenue tools available to them. And secondly, for this year, I think affordability and the lack of affordability for most people should trump, uh, you know, the need for money and just say, look, we're going to leave that money in people's pockets by taking the tax increase down by another point, at least. And it's still a big tax increase, but it's a little less big than if you left it the way it is. So I've, I've answered your question. I thought I stopped answering questions, but I answered that one because you asked. Sabrina and Angie, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's the Queen's Park Observer's Sabrina Nanji here on the uh, morning brief.